On Memorial Day weekend in 1984, an event occurred that changed how meteorological data were collected and used for forecasting in the state of Oklahoma. On May 26th and 27th, a cold front stalled over the Tulsa metropolitan area. Over an eight-hour period from 8.30 p.m. to 4.30 a.m., as much as 15 inches of rain saturated the area. 14 Tulsans lost their lives, 288 were injured, over 5,000 buildings and 7,000 vehicles were damaged or destroyed, and many miles of roads, bridges, and railways experienced serious damages. The cost of the flood was estimated at $180 million in damages, which is almost $500 million worth of damages in 2021. After this devastating event, the state of Oklahoma immediately began to develop a plan to improve weather observations and forecasting so that floods and other severe weather events never caught people off guard like this again. The result was an incredible endeavor involving cooperation among many different stakeholders to create a system of automated weather stations across the state. It's known as the Oklahoma Mesonet. The Mesonet is a unique network of highly sophisticated weather sensors deployed across the state. In each of Oklahoma's 77 counties, there's at least one mesonet station. They have an average spacing of about 30 kilometers, or that's about 19 miles between them, which gives excellent coverage of the entire state. The network includes about 3,300 sensors and 250 computers that together make around 700,000 observations daily. What are those observations? Mesonet stations are constantly collecting air temperature at one and a half and nine meters above the ground, relative humidity, rainfall, barometric pressure, solar radiation, wind speed, and wind direction. Measurements are transmitted back to the main computers in Norman, Oklahoma every five minutes. Every 15 to 30 minutes, soil temperature and soil moisture data are also transmitted. Within two minutes of being received at the main computer, research quality data are available for use. Think about that. Every five minutes, 121 stations are transmitting data summaries to a central computer. That's thousands of data points for each individual meteorological variable measured each day. The Mesonet has been collecting these data 24 hours a day, 365 days a year since January 1, 1994, when the Mesonet went online. The Mesonet stations produce about 63,000 products and files every day, and their data archives contain over 5 billion observations. What those data tell us is the subject of what we're going to get into in this and the following Biota episode. I'm Phil Gibson, and welcome to Biota. I'm extremely happy to welcome Gary McManus to the podcast. He's a senior climatologist with the Oklahoma Climatological Survey, and he plays a critical role in the process of evaluating, processing, and sharing data from the Mesonet stations. He's also the author of the highly informative and entertaining Mesonet Ticker. It's a weekly summary of the current state of the atmosphere in Oklahoma. I'll tell you how to find the ticker and the mesonet at the end of this episode. In this first part of the interview, Gary's going to explain what the mesonet is and why it is incredibly important to the people of Oklahoma. In the second part of the interview, he'll go into further detail about what the data from Oklahoma and other locations on Earth are telling us about climate change. Before we get into the interview, I want to take a moment just to explain the name mesonet. Mesonet is a combination of two words, mesoscale and network. Mesoscale is a meteorological term that refers to any atmospheric events that occur over spatial scales of about 5 to 1,000 kilometers in width, and these events can last from minutes to hours. 
This includes things like thunderstorms, wind gusts, hailstorms, squall lines, downbursts, dry lines, and even tornadoes. These are the kinds of events that occur at what meteorologists call the mesoscale. Now, a network is just a collection of interconnected but independent units. So the mesonet is a network of closely spaced weather stations that collect data across an extensive area. This allows the mesonet to provide detailed, almost instantaneous information about meteorological events and patterns that could not be detected with more widely spaced stations that collect data less frequently. Now that you have a better idea of what the mesonet is and what a mesoscale event would include, we're ready to get into my interview with Gary McManus. Um, Gary, thanks for being with us on the Biota podcast. Let's start with just a, a local type of question to get things rolling. Um, you work for the Oklahoma Mesonet. What is the Mesonet? Well, I, the Mesonet's a series of uh, environmental me measuring stations, basically uh, weather stations across the state. There's 120 of these stations. Uh, there's one in each county, at least one in each county. So every all 77 counties have at least one station. So every resident of each county can say, I have a mesonet station close to me. Um, we measure things uh, above the surface, uh, temperature, wind speeds, humidity. Uh, and we measure things uh, below the, the surface also, uh, soil temperature, soil moisture, um, a few other things, solar radiation, you know, your typical weather uh, measuring uh, station uh, parameters. Um, we're, we're actually pretty unique. We're jointly operated by the Oklahoma, uh, University of Oklahoma and Oklahoma State University. So one of the few things that uh, these two universities can actually get along on, um, especially when it comes to sports, as we know recently, um, lots of rancor there, but we're all we're one big happy family when it comes to the Mesonet. And one of the unique things about the Mesonet is we operate 24 hours a day reporting data every five minutes from each of those 24 hours. So from all over the state, we have, since we were uh, uh, commissioned in 1994, we have billions of observations of Oklahoma's weather and also soil characteristics. So, um, and the, the data comes into where my parent um, organization, the Oklahoma Climate and Logical Survey here on the, the campus of University of Oklahoma, where the, the data are stored and then disseminated to um, state decision makers, the public, anybody who wants those data. You used a couple of important terms there, and I want to make sure that we get those defined very early on, weather and climate. So what is the difference between those two things? Oh, to put it simply, weather is what happens day to day or week to week, and climate is that weather, that day to day or week to week or even month to month or even year to year weather averaged over time. So uh, climate is simply the weather averaged over time on a longer time scale. So typically when we talk about normals in climate, we talk about the 30 year uh, period. So the latest normals that came out were from 1991 to 2020. Um, so, but you know, climate can be, uh, you know, just the last month. It just depends on how you want to define it. So uh, if we look at the statewide average temperature for the last month, August, that would be a climate variable. Um, the, 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 the high temperature on uh, August 13th, that would probably be a weather variable. So, you know, you can, you can expand it up or down, but it's really just the, uh, uh, the weather averaged over time. Now, what is your role specifically with um, Mesonet and the Climatological Survey? 
Well, I serve as a state climate climatologist. Uh, that's a, an Oklahoma climate survey position. Uh, I interact with the state decision makers, uh, media folks, uh, other scientists such as yourself, um, education folks, uh, and the general public. I uh, disseminate the data. I try and interpret the data. I act as a representative of the state if, if this one is needed um, in the terms of the weather uh, or climate. So, uh, you know, one of the things I do is uh, give uh, lots of interviews um, as I'm doing right now. So I try and use that expertise that I've gained over the last 20 to 30 years, uh, but also a lifetime living here in Oklahoma uh, to help the state decision makers and the citizens of Oklahoma um, better understand uh, weather and climate. So the, the Mesonet is, you said it's this network of all these stations. Are the data readily available to just the, the general public? I mean, so, so suppose somebody wanted to know what was going on at their nearest Mesonet station. How could they get that information? Oh, sure. Um, we have a, a website, of course. It's www.mesonet.org. That's M-E-S-O-N-E-T.org. And we also have uh, apps for Android and Apple iPhones. Um, so you can get that on your, your, uh, your cell phones, uh, your portable devices. Um, and of course, if you need more particular data, you can always contact your friendly local state climatologist and ask for the data that you might need. It's not just Mesonet data, of course. We have all sorts of climate data from the, uh, the National Weather Service, the, the National Weather Service's cooperative uh, local observers, which are the, uh, uh, the long-term data that go back to the 1880s. And even uh, before that, when we had the forts here in Oklahoma, that data. So we have a, a, a wide swath of data available here at the Oklahoma Climate Survey, including the Oklahoma Mesonet data. So if you were going to sort of give uh, advice to folks about what they could use or how the, the Mesonet app uh, could be most useful to them, particularly as we you know, have storm season and things coming up, how would you advise people to, to use this or how could it be a tool that could help them out? Uh, well, you know, here in Oklahoma, you really do need to pay attention to the weather, not just day to day, but sometimes hour to hour and minute to minute. So if you need a five minute weather update, you take, take that uh, portable device, get the Mesonet app on it, and you just set it to your local station. Um, but you can also look at the statewide maps. If you want to know where that big cold front is, um, you can locate that on our map just by looking at the temperatures. If you want to notice where um, the big storms are, you can look at the radar on our, our app. Um, if you're agriculture, we have all sorts of different models that you can look at from uh, things for pecans to pecan growers to wheat growers, uh, cattle comfort to help those cattle ranchers um, keep their cattle safe and uh, you know, growing healthily. Um, so, so many different uh, aspects of Oklahoma's uh, weather are so important to so many people um, that we really do need to keep track of it on a, you know, on a very frequent basis. And, and that's exactly what that Mesnet app can do. Or if you can just sitting at your, at your house on your computer, you can look at it. Um, you know, one of the worst things about being a meteorologist and working inside is I forget to look out the window from time to time, but I can always look at that computer screen and see what's happening, not only outside my, uh, my office, but also, you know, all the way from Boy City to Broken Bow, from Miami to Hollis. So we have every part of the state covered. Now, have you visited all of the Mesonet stations in the state? Now, I haven't visited all the Mesonet stations. I've been to every county, of course, and given talks in most of those counties. 
Um, but we do have technicians that cover the state. They go out on seasonal passes. Um, one of the great things about the Mesnet is we're so well maintained and our data is so well kept. We're really one of the, the, the prized gems of the meteorological community when it comes to uh, research quality data, but also upkeep of our, our network. Our, our Mesnet technicians are invaluable. They go out and they, they, they cut the grass. They, they keep the sites up. They, they battle cows and angry angry citizens going through their, their property and, you know, getting to those sites. And, uh, um, you know, it, it's just a magnificent way to, to run a, a weather network. And I'm very lucky to be working for the Mesonet. Well, just, just thinking about that before we, we leave the topic of the Mesonet itself, um, there is uh, clearly a Mesonet station here in this county, but there's one uh, by the, the weather center. Is that correct? Where if people wanted to actually see what they look like? Yeah, you can come out. It's on the uh, the the east side of the uh, the parking lot out here outside the National Weather Center. So it's a it's an actual working station. It does get data. Now that data is sort of corrupted. It's not really what we would consider the research quality that the other Mesnet stations are, because it is located right next to a, a an asphalt surface. The, the parking lot, of course, and there's sprinklers over there that tend to impact the humidity and the, the rainfall. So um, that's not the type of data that we're really used to working with here at the Mesnet, but you can get an idea of exactly what the site looks like. Um, you know, that 30 foot tall tower and all the instruments and things of that nature. So it sounds like a lot of research had to go into deciding where to place the stations to find a, I guess what you'd think of as a representative site for that area. Right, the Mesnet's extremely careful in where they site the data, you know, cause we don't want the impacts of any urban influence like, you know, asphalt, the uh, uh, islands of our, uh, uh, our urban centers. Um, so we stay away from any sort of, uh, I guess you would say civilization. We get out on, on uh, farmlands and, and other places like that. So uh, our, our data are really uh, not impacted by uh, any sort of, uh, you know, false uh, information. And we also just things like uh, we stay away from trees so it doesn't impact our wind speeds and our wind directions. Uh, we don't want a lot of, uh, uh, you know, I guess you'd say uh, fake humidity. So stay away from all those sprinklers. Uh, stay away from the, uh, uh, the, the, the farms that, that want to irrigate, you know, with the above ground irrigation system. So, um, you know, just the, the great peer reviewed uh, quality data that can withstand any sort of uh, a scrutiny in that way. And, and the data are coming in fairly fast. I mean, let's, let's say a person opens up their, their phone, they look on the Mesonet app and they see that the temperature where they're at is, is coming in. I and mean, how, how fresh, I guess you would say, or how soon uh, recently was that data collected? It would be every five minutes. So when you get that temperature data, it's the, the previous five minutes before you look at it, averaged over that five minute period. So um, it's really right up. It's, it's not really right up to the minute, but basically it is right up to the minute. Um, it's, it's about the most accurate measurement you could reasonably exactly. get. It, it's a lot of the instruments, they measure stuff every three seconds. And then those three seconds become a five minute data. Um, but, you know, at times we can go down into the, the one minute data and find even more fine course or, or a more uh, fine tune event. So if we have like a, a uh, big uh, microburst, we can go down and look at what happened minute to minute. And uh, the last time we had that big solar eclipse, we actually looked at all the minute data across the state and followed that solar eclipse. 
on a, on a more fine scale uh, versus the more coarse scale of five minutes. So it is, we have the ability to go down into the actual data. We don't do it a lot, but we do have that capability. Well, let's, let's broaden our perspective a little bit more. I, mean, I think it's fair to say that you have observed and kept your eye on the, the Oklahoma weather and climate uh, very closely uh, working for the Mesonet. So if you were going to summarize what you have seen in terms of changes in um, Oklahoma weather patterns or Oklahoma climate, how would you summarize your observations? Oh, I think over the last, you know, let's go back 30, 40 years when I've really been cognizant of the weather. Uh, of course, I've been here on the OU campus since 1987 as a student and an employee, but I grew up in Buffalo, Oklahoma, out in the far northwestern corner of the main body of the state, almost the panhandle. We like to say we're the, the bolt that holds the panhandle on. So the, the main body of the state doesn't really uh, take us, but neither does the panhandle. So we're just sort of in a, in a transition period out there. But at any rate, I think the biggest changes we've seen from when I was younger uh, would be much warmer winters. Um, you know, if you ask the ranchers, when I was growing up, we would have to go out and bust up those stock ponds uh, or the stock tanks and, and cut holes in the ponds for the cattle to drink out of. You know, those winters of the 70s and 80s when I grew up were bone chilling cold compared to the winters we have now, regardless of the extreme event we had in this February, of course, um, which can also be a signal of climate change and we might talk about later. But um, so those warmer winters, also wetter winters, uh, warmer, wetter winters, if you can say that three times fast. Um, those are some of the big changes. Haven't really seen a lot of change in our, uh, uh, our summers, really. Um, we do start to see spring seasons start to show up a little bit earlier. Uh, fall season starts to get extended a little bit farther uh, into the winter. Um, and summer lasts a little bit longer. So those are just sort of broad, uh, broad scale, I think, changes that we've seen. There are, of course, many more fine, fine course changes. Um, but those warmer, wetter winters, uh, especially the, 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 the cold weather, um, fewer cold air events, and also uh, warmer um, overnight temperatures during the winter months. Um, those are some of the big changes. Uh, you know, we're lucky we haven't had big summer changes um, because when that starts happening, we're really going to notice it. But uh, um, the, the, the warmer winters are something I just demonstrably changed since I was a, a youngster. Um, well, you mentioned two things I want to talk about. I'm not sure which one to go with first. So I'll just, I'll just uh, go ahead and, and let's stick with the, the warmth. Um, we know that out West this year, we were having, or at least people are talking more about a mega drought. Sure. So what is a mega drought? Um, are we having drought conditions in, in Western Oklahoma? I was trying to look at some of the data. And so what's happening with that? Why, why are we seeing these, these drought conditions that are not just occurring, but persisting? Well, that mega drought, I think it would be classified as a mega drought. A mega drought is different than just a drought. A mega drought lasts over a long period of time, so decades um, on a large scale. So I think what we're seeing now out in the far western parts of the United States would be classified as a mega drought. And a lot of that uh, drought, a mega drought could be attributed to uh, climate change. So the southwestern U.S. especially is uh, very fine tuned into being uh you know, impacted by uh, warmer and more arid uh, conditions um, over the last 30, 40 years, but also as we go into the future. So that drought out there that they've seen and the heat is a precursor to coming events uh, 
Um, you know, they might come out of it for a while, but that's really going to be um, a more steady state climate for that part of the United States. Um, as we get farther over, um, uh, you go across the Rockies into the Leo Rockies. Of course, that area, as we get out into Western Oklahoma, the Panhandle, the High Plains region is already basically close to being semi-arid. If you look out in the, the panhandles of Oklahoma and Texas, and much uh, much of the high plains up and down from the Mexican, Mexican to the Canadian border, you would consider that to be semi-arid uh, area. Um, you know, rainfall of 20 inches or less, um, that's really what we would define as the high plains that's separated by the, the, really the 100th meridian is considered the separation between the high plains um, and the, 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 the more, uh, I guess, um, uh, climate friendly area to the east of that. So one of the changes we've seen over the last uh, 30, 40 years in that region would be a shifting of that 100th meridian, what we consider the semi-arid areas of the high plains that shifted noticeably to the, uh, to the east. So what would normally have been running right close to Buffalo, Oklahoma, out in the far northwestern part of the state where I grew up, very close to 100th Meridian, is now um, more closely attuned to um, uh, where you grew up, Ponca City. So uh, basically the High Plains are, and the aridity of the High Plains is starting to move to the west, or to the east, I mean. Um, so you know, Altus might look towards Lubbock to see what their future might hold. Um, Elk City might look to Amarillo. Uh, Buffalo, um, where I grew up, might look to Guyman. So that sort of change has started to occur. Um, some very good research um, from Richard, Richard Seeger, um, uh, who's sort of the father of that type of research, uh, showing that shift in the, uh, the semi-arid areas. Uh, of the high plains. Uh, it's a little bit different though. Um, it is largely due to the impact of climate change. The warming, uh, the warmer weather tends to bring more evaporation, that, that higher evaporation rate with that in, increased warmth, especially over the winter months, shifts that aridity to the, uh, to the east. Whereas farther to the west, um, you know, they've seen more uh, demonstrable changes throughout the year as far as the, the, the temperatures. So warmer temperatures, not only during the, uh, the winter months, but all throughout the year, especially the summer months too. So a little bit different in our droughts. Um, you know, we hadn't really had a lot of a long drought period here in Oklahoma in this region um, from the 1950s until we got to about, you know, that 2010-15 drought. That was sort of a shock to the system for our state um, we had had some smaller, very intense droughts, uh, 1995, 96, uh, 2001, 2002, uh, 2005, 2006. So some smaller droughts, but very intense that would last about the uh, about a, a, a season or two or three or four. So a life cycle of a wheat crop, for instance, so it might last a year. Um, but when we got to that 2010 drought, it started in the fall of 2010, lasted all the way through the spring of 2015, when it was eradicated by the Godzilla El Nino event, as we called it. Um, that five, six year period was really something we hadn't seen since the 1950s. And so it was a different thing for Oklahoma to wake up and realize, 
you know, what we've experienced as we've built our infrastructure um, over the last 30, 40 years in that period when it was actually wetter than normal on a more consistent basis than we've seen throughout our entire uh, history here in Oklahoma, at least as we go back to the late 1890s. Um, well, maybe that infrastructure we built is not really used to this type of drought. And that's what we found when we had these large, large scale water shortages and uh, large scale crop failures over several, uh, several seasons, uh, over several years, I mean. Um, so, you know, when we, when we look back at the droughts in our past, um, we don't want to just look at what happened in the last 30, 40 years. We want to go back in history, look at those big droughts in our past, because those are probably, um, when we look into the future, going to be more, uh, more frequent. Uh, the types of the 1930s drought, the 1950s drought, the drought that we had from 1850 to 1875, um, that was, of course, worse than any drought that we've seen over the last hundred years. Those type of droughts are probably more in our future than they are in our past. That concludes part one of the interview. Hopefully you have a better idea of the basic structure and function of the Oklahoma Mesonet and what it can tell us. You can access the Mesonet on the web at www.mesonet.org, or you can download the Mesonet app onto your mobile device. I urge everyone, especially my listeners in Oklahoma, to visit the site and become familiar with the information that it makes available. You can also read Gary's educational and highly entertaining Mesonet ticker at www.ticker.mesonet.org. In the next episode, Gary will describe events, patterns, and changes happening beyond the border of Oklahoma as we turn to the topic of climate change. Before I sign off, I want to thank Gary for making time in his schedule for this interview, and thanks also to you, the listeners, for making us a part of your day. A special shout-out also to my followers in Australia, England, and other places around the globe. All right, so once again, I'm Phil Gibson, and this has been Biota. Thanks for listening, have a great day, and take very good care of your genetic material. Biota is a production of Under the Juniper Studios. All opinions expressed are those of the author alone. Thank you. Thank you.